Hi, welcome to episode 34 of the Axiom Podcast. This is Joy Brandon. I'm here again this week with Devin Dash. And Devin, what are we going to be talking about this week? We're going to be talking about everybody's favorite cost center. What is that? HR. HR is a favorite cost, and I sense a little bit of sarcasm, maybe a little bit of cynicism. So why would you say, tongue-in-cheek, it's everybody's favorite cost center? Well, I think it's, I would say in large part because a lot of businesses and organizations see HR as this overhead. And and what we're doing is we're hiring personnel to fill key administrative functions. Really, that's that's kind of one side of where we're what we're going to be talking about today is administrative HR versus strategic HR. Right. So when we talk about administrative HR, it's kind of checking all the boxes. Um, and it's I would say it's primarily compliance oriented. So like we have to have an I nine on file. We have to have a W-4 on file. We have to have this safety sheet, you know, or this, this document signed off saying you've been through the safety training and oh, there's, we gave you a uniform and you're acknowledging that you got the uniform. And there's all that like taking and tying stuff, which is uh, like a necessary evil of running a business where you're responsible for employees. Um, and we get that and we see that and that is widely acknowledged to be necessary once you reach a certain size. Like so before I don't know, I don't know what the magic number is, but let's say it's fifty employees. Mm-hmm. So under fifty employees, somebody's doing that stuff, but they're also doing some other things too. They're they maybe your bookkeeper is the person who's doing a lot of that stuff. Um, maybe it's an office administrator, uh, could be a lot of people, but that's not their only job. And then at some point you get to a big enough size where it's like, well, this is like this is a full time job to keep up with. Let's say we got a hundred and fifty employees, and we're we're hiring or letting go of somebody every week or two. So you got that, and then you got payroll every week, and then you've got time off, vacation requests every week, and then you've got insurance enrollment once a year. So there's quickly the paperwork quickly adds up maybe some of the cynicism is what does that add to the business it's like well we have to do all these things or we could get in trouble we could get an employment lawsuit or we could get in trouble with osha or we could get in trouble with uh, homeland security for not having the right permit documentation on file that says they've got a social security card or passport or something like that that says they're eligible to work but in terms of me out distancing my competitor or me growing at a certain rate this year or me uh, increasing my market share, none of that really happens if you're just focused on the administrative HR function. Right. And I think that's where a lot of HR professionals really, they have an ax to grind because they, they don't see that as their only job function. Mm-hmm. And they they love the people aspect of the job. They And I think a lot of HR professionals see it as a strategic piece and in, in business unit because there's so much more to... HR than just the compliance piece. It's looking for people who are going to help grow the organization. And sure, it might be a cost center, but the people that they're bringing on to drive the vision and the plan of the company to achieve its goals, they're not, they're probably revenue generating. Um, And that's the piece that they love is getting the right people to fit the company and the culture and all the other things that we talked about. And I guess like, we both believe that words like mean something. So words are important. And when we talk about you know, your values, the words you use are important. You know, your vision, getting the words right is important. And wordsmithing, mission statement. So we like, we're on the same page about the value of words. And this is an area where I feel like the language that's in use is wholly insufficient to really describe what's going. So you think about human resources. Well, 
there's something about that that just doesn't feel right. Like I'm not a resource, I'm a human. Right. So it's like, a, it's almost offensive the way an oxymoron is, is kind of self-contradictory. Like it's self-offensive. Like you can't put those two statements together without feeling like you're just treating people like a number. Uh, but that is the accept, accepted kind of language, you know, so a lot of people say HR, they don't even think about what it means. But one of the terms I've heard recently uh, that's kind of come into vogue over the last five or six years is human capital management, right? Yep. And you're like, that's even more offensive because now, now you're we're kind of even more explicitly saying these are people that are capital just like working capital in a business or just like equity capital on a balance sheet. And you're like... There, there ought to be something more to it. Uh, and I don't know, I don't have an answer for what the, the new term should be, but I wish we could come up with one. So, Joey, what are some of the questions that we would ask an organization to determine? Are, are they ser- is their HR department serving more of an administrative function or a strategic function? Well, when you look at, when we talk about strategy, I guess the biggest uh, component of strategy is you're always looking through the front windshield as opposed to scorekeeping, accounting, record keeping, bookkeeping, that kind of stuff is all rear view mirror and it's already happened. So uh, maybe a good way to look at it is, well, how much of your HR activity is about documenting stuff that's already happened? So like we hired this person today and we got them to fill out the right forms and check the right boxes and it's in the file. We did a uh, an annual performance review for this person for the last five years, and it's all in the file. Like that's all rearview mirror stuff. So maybe the question that we would ask is, what is your HR person doing that's focused on the next year, or the next twelve months, or the next six months, or the next eighteen months? And that's that's kind of in the realm of all strategy. All strategy is asking, what are the things we should be focused on? now so that we can get the results we're working toward in the future. So when we talk about that, uh, one of the exercises that comes to mind that uh, we just talked about this morning with a prospective new client was that future org chart that comes out of Gerber's The the Mm -hmm. E-Myth. And we kind of marry that with Gina Wickman's accountability chart out of traction. And we say, let's let's think about uh, five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, we're closer to the vision that you have for this organization. What is it going to have to look like? How many people are going to have to be here? What are their core accountabilities going to be? And if you're, if maybe the executive team is going off and they're doing that exercise, maybe they're even doing it with us, and somewhere in the building there's an HR professional and they've never seen that sheet, right? We're never even giving them an opportunity to do anything but record keeping. Right. But if we put the sheet in front of them and say, hey, here's the deal. We have we currently have uh, 35 people in the field. In 10 years, we want to have 65. And maybe these are skilled trade positions. And the HR person might look at us and go, you're absolutely crazy. Like, do you know how hard we had to fight for the 35 we have in the field now and you want to double that? Where do you think those people are going to come from? And the only people who are in the trade right now that we could get are you know already licensed they've got 15 years of experience and you know they want to work for bigger companies that have huge you know 401k plans because they're close to retirement we're not going to get those people without investing a lot right and that creates a whole new conversation around the table about okay well the good news is we don't need those 30 people or those you know extra 25 30 35 people we don't need them today uh, but we are going to need them in two years 
So is it possible, and we've seen this with clients before, where they develop relationships with trade schools. They may even write curriculum and start programs at trade mm-hmm. schools. They may even send their people to, do, to volunteer or to teach on staff in those trade schools. And why do they do that? Well, if you develop this special relationship and you host you know, career days and workshops and things at your location and you start to build relationships with the students and with the teachers, who do you think gets the, the pick, you know, the cream of the crop when they're ready to graduate and get their welding certification or their HVA certification or whatever? So um, that's where the HR professional might be able to uh, look at our future needs and go, we're not going to be able to get there. We have to think about a different route in order to staff up for this. That's one thing that comes to mind. Um, what are ideas you have about other questions we might ask to determine whether it's an, an, an administrative or a strategic function? One of the questions we would ask is, is there a roadmap that you have for your employees? Is there a, you know, kind of like you would look at operations and, and go, is there a playbook for how everything is done in the organization? Mm-hmm. Let's look at the workforce. Let's look at the people actually doing the work. Is there opportunity for them to grow into and assimilate to the organization? Is there a career path for them where they can come in as a helper and end as a you know, level five master tech mm-hmm. who has three or four helpers underneath them and, and is comped accordingly? And can they make this place a career or are they just, is this a stepping stone on their way to owning their own company? Which is okay too, but right. questions like that are, are really help us to determine is this a, just an administrative function or is this really a key cost center in the business that is having a return in the future. Yeah. And when you look at an HR person, uh, some of the hallmarks of the activities that we might say, man, that's a very strategic person, is are they going through the organization and and identifying where the dead ends are? So, you know, we, we go in and like, well, this is a clerical position in the warehouse, for instance, and there's really nowhere to go after that. Well, why not? Why is that? So if you, if you stick a person in the warehouse for two years and they understand every single part, they know, you know roughly how many of them are kept in stock, they're able to identify them by sight, why wouldn't that person be able to progress somewhere else in the organization? Maybe not the warehouse. Maybe it's a dead end at the warehouse, but maybe with that knowledge they have, you go, well, once you've, once you've been in this position and you're, you're intimately familiar with all the parts and pieces that we use, Maybe you become an apprentice. Maybe you work in the stock cage. Maybe you become a purchaser. Maybe you become, uh, maybe you become a courier. You know, because you're actually taking these parts out. Or maybe there's a lot of. I mean, but the, the idea that an HR person would be looking at all the different positions in the organization and going, we have no logical progression to get to the next step from here. You know, at the end of this job, there's really nowhere else to go, and that's a problem. We need to figure out a solution to that. When you talk about uh, HR as a strategic function, you're also talking about not just the, uh, the progression of field labor, which is often the easiest one to wrap your head around. Well, what is a junior tech versus a well, helper versus a junior tech versus a senior tech versus a supervisor? But, but a really good HR person also has to have a good understanding of the accounting profession, of general management, of clerical work of customer service. So like it's one thing to look in the field where the industry divides techs up into these different categories. It's another to look into your customer service department and go, what does it look like to be 
a junior customer service versus a senior customer service person. And maybe it's a small enough organization that there's never going to be a junior in a certain, like, it's like, look, we got two and they both got to be really good. <laughs> so we need two seniors. So what is, and a, a good HR person still needs to be able to look at that position and say, uh, okay, I got two seniors and one of them is five years away from retirement. Where's the next person going to come from? So I, I think anticipating, and most of the, let's just get clear too, like the situations we're talking about are typically going to be like 50 to 250 employees, uh, not beyond the realm of first name basis. I mean, maybe a stretch at some point, but yeah. uh, you're still able to become familiar with an individual's particular situation and their plans for the future. And I don't know to what extent an HR professional is expected to be having those conversations versus the manager of that person is expected to have those conversations and then kind of circle back to HR and say, hey, I just found out that John over there who's been on our customer service phone line for the last 35 years, he's really kind of counting down for the next three years and we're going to have to replace him or whether the HR person's having that conversation. But in any case, the strategic approach would be that somebody's having the conversation. It's making it back. There's a system or a process for it to get back to HR and for them to almost build a triage list of here's our existing people. If we're going to continue to care for them well, that also means handing off well when they're ready to step out the door, they're ready to move on to the next opportunity. And it's not, let's just be really clear, in this day and age, it's not just the people who are retiring. I mean, the statistics probably 20 years ago were that the average person is going to have seven kind of major professional positions in the course of their professional career. And that I can only believe that that's more now than it was 20 years ago. So understanding where's my 26-year-old customer service rep? What is their plan? You know, if they're going to get married and uh, their spouse is in residency with a you know, a hospital or something, and they're probably going to move away. Well, what's our plan for that position? So you can see where this can quickly become way beyond the scope of checking boxes and keeping up with paperwork. And I can imagine a lot of HR professionals pulling their hair out if they're listening to this going, are you kidding me? Like you're talking about, I can barely get people to turn their timesheets in on time so I can get payroll out every week or every other week. And you're asking me to go sit down and have conversations to understand what each individual's personal history is like? Like, you're totally out of touch. This is never going to happen. I mean, so to what extent is it realistic to ask us, for us to ask an HR person to have a more strategic approach to what they're doing? I think it's extremely realistic. I mean, that, that in and of itself, the administrative function of the HR personnel can still be very strategic. It, I think... It goes, again, but really ties in well with this illustration that you're using of the front windshield, back back window idea is you can have a strategic admin HR if they're going, how are we, how are we collecting W-2s you know, or issuing W-2s at the end of the year? And why do we have so many people that are coming back and going, I never got mine? There's a strategic function that can be, you know, you can use strategy to develop that and say, let's troubleshoot this. Maybe maybe there's a system error that we can develop to make it easier. Um, so so there's other ways to to marry strategy into the HR function as opposed to just 
always being forward-looking and personnel. And sometimes their strategy in making our current workflows more efficient. Yeah, uh, that's a big one. I, um, let's park there for a second. So uh, this also goes back to a conversation we had this week uh, where we were talking to to some a business owner about HR function, whether there was some help needed. And we talked about high-value versus low-value tasks. So uh, especially in administrative work, we know uh, that there are things that you have to do to fill out forms or get paperwork filed or to press buttons to submit email, payroll, whatever, that uh, if your HR professional is getting paid $60,000, $70,000 a year, like you don't want to be paying at $60,000 a year, 30 bucks an hour to fill out a form and press submit. But because because that's quote-unquote HR and because we've never thought about the cost of doing that, we've never had any incentive to break apart the different roles that are inherent in an HR function and say which ones are high-value tasks and which ones are low-value tasks. So one of the things that we talked about with this particular business was working with uh, the HR department to say, what are the things that you do every day? Like every morning I come in and I check to make sure that the time clock is in good working order. I'm making this stuff up. Um, And then every Tuesday I make sure that the supervisors have submitted all their time cards. And then every Wednesday I submit payroll to the payroll company. Every Friday I make sure that the payroll tax deposit got sent to the thing. You know, and maybe every Thursday afternoon this thing happens, whatever. And then uh, by the second or maybe by the third day of the month, I do this to make sure that the month-end payroll tax. So there's all these things. And if we chunk them up and say, what is the stuff you do every day? What's the stuff you do every week? What's the stuff you do once a month? What's the stuff you do once a quarter? What's the stuff you do once a year? So like the once a year stuff is, well... Every year, we know that we have a workman's comp audit and that we're going to get this paperwork and we're going to have to submit our payroll and they're going to look at our employee classifications and all that stuff. Okay, that's that's probably a high-value task because the workman's comp audit, uh, the proper classification of employees has a significant bearing on whether you're going to have to come out of pocket for more premiums next year or not. So oh, 30 bucks an hour, that's a bargain if we can save us a, a few thousand dollars by making sure people have their, their coding right. But... Submitting payroll to the bank, maybe that's thirty bucks an hour. Because by God, we don't want that to go wrong. Yeah. Uh, but making sure that the time clock's in good working order. Are you kidding? <laughs> right. Like right. that's that is not. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, HR is the person who got stuck making sure the third floor copier, you know, is has toner. I mean, like that's the kind of stuff that if that stuff lands on our on the list that we would go through, we would say, let's figure out a process that can be handed off to somebody who's making 15 bucks an hour and let's take your 30 bucks an hour and spend that time elsewhere. Yeah. So if you're an HR professional, you're like, I get it. This is, this is what I always imagined my life would be. It's these high value tasks and forward windshield and resource planning and all that stuff. Um, but I just, there's not enough hours in the day. You're going to have to go to work on your workflow and decide where you're spending your time. And I would even say you owe it to your employer to raise your hand and go, look, you're paying me 30 bucks an hour to do a lot of $15 an hour tasks. And maybe there's an irrational fear of, well, if I do that, they're going to start paying me 15 bucks an hour. That's not going to happen. Like you're a $30 an hour person or a $60 an hour person or whatever you are, 
you're there because they recognize the value in having you there. They just want to be able, they want you to be able to spend your time in those high value areas. They've already committed to pay what they're going to pay you. But now it's incumbent on you to make sure that they're getting a return on their investment, that they're actually, you're spending your time on things that you and only you can do or you, that only you can do really well. So when we, when we say um, look at your tasks, start spending time on some of these, high, I want to get back to some of the other high-value tasks. So we talked about understanding whether there's a roadmap for different positions. That entails understanding whether they're dead-end positions. Um, it also We also talked about if you're putting together a vision that has sales forecasts several years out, um, you know, that, that person needs to be involved in those discussions so they can help you plan for that kind of stuff. Let, let's, let's pause there because I think that's some place that we haven't talked about really. And, you know, I think that's, if there's anything that our listeners are going to take away from this, it, maybe it's the challenge of start having your HR professional think of things through the front windshield and not the back windshield. So it's not just, it, it's not just developing the career path for your employees and looking at for dead end positions in your organization. It's not just recruiting either. It's maybe it's how do we grow the knowledge of our current employees? Um, What training resources do they need? Let's look at what the market's going to be like in 10 or 15 years. How can we be competitive in our pricing and stay ahead of the curve so that we're not losing guys to or employees to, other competitors because they're poaching because they're paying a higher rate and we just happen to be behind the trend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we know that hopefully in those conversations, there's other things that we're doing in our organization, like mission, vision, values to keep our employees. It's the, we're not selling our employees on the salary or the paycheck. But there's other, other things that we can have our HR department look at that definitely gives them a leg up in the strategic HR function. Yeah, so let's talk about, we'll split it up into kind of two different uh, directions. So there's stuff that the HR folks should be doing with the people that we already have. And then there's stuff that the HR folks should be doing with the people who are not here yet, but they're going to be part of our future workforce, like the recruiting side of it. So we'll put recruiting on hold for a second, and we'll still park park in this place where we're working with the people inside. You mentioned something about training. Um, You know, training is an area that, we see get delegated down to uh, the individual departments, whether it's, well, CSRs need training or field crews need training or sales guys need training. So if the sales team needs training, it's usually the the sales manager who kind of sets that up. And that makes a lot of sense. I'm not saying we should buck that trend. But um, somebody who, if you're big enough to have a full-time HR person and you want them to get out of the check the box mentality, or if you're sitting in an HR seat and you're like, I really want to be more strategic, there's, there are lots of uh, assessments that are available regardless of your position to say, these are the areas that need to be worked on. So for your customer service reps, um, it, it could be something as subjective as a survey, like, a, like rate yourself on how competent you feel with these skills, you know? Uh, how competent are you with, do you feel like you are with managing your time from the time you get here in the morning? How competent are you in um, handling customers in difficult situations? How competent are you, do you feel uh, you are in um, training your peers? 
to, to follow best practices? You know, what are the things that you know that you need to go to work on on yourself? And if you got four or five people and HR can say, I'm going to, I know that my customer service manager is buried. Like they're, and uh, you know, the HR manager right now is going, I'm buried too. Give me a break. Yeah. But at some point, if you want to take this strategic role, you got to accept some responsibility for being able to get into the business and to, and some, some, some areas that are going to give you a chance to, to look forward. And you say, I want you guys to do this quick survey for me, or I want us to get in the conference room and just have a, a fishbowl discussion about where, you know, let's put on the board the top 10 things we want to learn in the next year. And then I'll work with your customer service manager to make sure that you get training in those things. Maybe the customer service manager has all the expertise they need. It's just that they need the additional help from HR to pull back every once in a while, schedule an afternoon when they can put the phones on auto attendant or get some temporary help in there to cover the bases so that the team can have some breathing room to do some training. And so training is one of those things that we're, we're not saying that HR is responsible for the training, but if HR isn't identifying the need for the training and doing something to help facilitate that, they're really missing an opportunity to be strategic. And especially in field operations, like if you've got people out there who are you know, ripping out, uh, rip, tearing roofs off houses, or they're putting air conditioners in, or, or building you know, houses, HR is not going to be able to train them. You know, even right. like OSHA safety practices in the field, HR is not the person to do that. But HR can definitely say, listen, if we're going to be effective in the next decade, we have to, you know, raise the bar of, for our skill sets. And that involves some training. And here are the areas I've gone out and done the work to survey the people, or I've gone done the work to look at the industry, or I've done the work to take an industry tool and assess the skills and competencies of our people. And here's what we need to work on. And here's, here's how I want us to work together to do this over the next year. So training can be a very strategic piece of that. Let's talk about evaluation. So let's talk about the dreaded annual performance evaluation. And that, that definitely happens with the people who are already on board. So how do you make that strategic? Well, you do it in a way that is relevant, you know, and, I am a big proponent of continuous evaluation. Don't bring your employee once in once a year and have a conversation with them about everything that's happened in the last 12 months. Chances are all the good stuff that you are going to want to say has happened in the last two or three months and all of the negative feedback that they're going to hear happened in the last two or three months. You know, and I think what the, the risk that you're running there is that this employee has done countless positive things for your organization. And maybe they're like, they, they recognize those. They are glad to be here. They see those things as really contributing to the overall progress of the organization. But you don't say any of those things. Right. You're not giving them any of that positive feedback. Um, some, some of the more relevant, you know, recent things, but nothing, you know, in a large scale, you may be missing a lot of good things that they've done. Right. So here's an exercise. Like if you doubt the veracity of what Devin's telling you right now, uh, this is a really, and I've done this a few times. Uh, it's a great time of year where this will be released, uh, before, you know, this was released before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a time of year when we try to do, I, I encourage you to go off and do some planning. I try to do some personal planning and setting goals for the next year. So if I said, 
Devin, uh, I want you to take a few minutes and just recap your year for me. And so you would sit down, and what you just told me is you'd probably be really good at recapping October, November, and December. Real real good November. Yeah. Maybe sketchy October. But if I said, um, I want you to do this, I want you to take uh, 12 12 rows on your piece of paper, and I want you to do January, February, March, April. And I want you to go back through your appointment calendar, I want you to take a quick look at your email. It's going to take you a little while. Go through your email. Go through your maybe your wife's calendar for family events. Um, go through your photos and your phone. Tell me what what were the big things that happened in January? Then what were the big major events in February? And if you went through that, we get a totally different picture of your year. Absolutely. Now it would take a hell of a lot more discipline and more time to do that. But we would both agree if we wanted to have an accurate picture of your year that you could come back to 10 years from now and say, this is what 2019 was like for me, that's the way to do it, not tell me about your last year. Yeah. So the, the idea of uh, constant evaluation, we would say is, and I've done this before, where it's like we try to sit down every third, you and I do this once a month, you know, it's your agenda in the afternoon, uh, usually on Friday afternoon. And it's like the agenda is yours. What do you want to talk about? What is it? What is the? What do you? What kind of feedback do you want from me? And we actually did this today. Yeah. Uh, it, coming back from an appointment, you, and you're like, you wanted some feedback, and so we had a great discussion about that. And that was not a formal performance evaluation per se, but it's probably a lot more effective than me sitting down on your anniversary date and going, "This is how you did this year." Yeah. So when we talk about an HR, a strategic HR professional. If, if this is, again, like they're not in the position to do these continuous evaluations, but they're trying to create an environment where the other managers are doing these continuous evaluations. So it's almost like a train the trainer kind of situation where Absolutely. you have to drive home the fact to your fellow colleagues. Because when we sit, in the, when we sit around a table in a leadership team meeting, the HR person's usually there, yeah. right? And they should be. If they're not, that's probably a good indication that it's mostly an administrative function, right? And so we would like to see that transition happen where that person's in the room and they're thinking strategically through the front windshield. But they're sitting shoulder to shoulder with the sales manager, with the field manager, with the customer service manager, with the CEO. with the, And so these are your colleagues. What are you doing? What part of your role do you see it uh, to be to, to train these people to influence them, really, not train them, but to influence them to be giving these kind of consistent, continuous performance evaluations. And that's a behavior change thing that, like, now we're asking the HR professional to really up their game Mm -hmm. and to take, assume a level of responsibility um, that, um, uh, to be frank, a lot of them probably aren't going to do. Like, that's not on me. Like, it's not my job to convince these people that they should be reviewing their folks more consistently. But that's what it takes to be strategic, right? That's what it takes to really have an influence on what's going to happen in the future. And if you can be the champion for making sure that people are getting more than feedback every 360 days, it's got to make a difference in a big way in the company. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, the HR professional going, there's no way I'm ever going to do that. You don't, have to, you don't have to lay it out all by yourself. I, I think that's something we should reiterate. But it may require you to take 90 days and look at all of the resources available in the market. I know that there's, there's probably a half a dozen or more 
tools that you can give to a manager to say, this is what you're going to use to review your people every 90 days. And every, they're, they're going to be on a cycle. So every 90 days, you're reviewing another person in your, organiz- in, in your department. Uh, we use a tool, the Reach Ecosystem, has a 360 uh, profile that we run. And that's a really great tool that an HR manager could give to their, you know, the department manager and say, you're going to run this every 90 days on your employees and everybody in their team is going to rate them and you're going to rate them. And then you're going to sit down with them and cover some of the highlights and lowlights of that, of that report. And it's a consistent tool and that's it. It's the tool. Um, so don't take it on yourself to organize all this stuff and just go find the tool that your people are going to use that you find to be most effective. So in that vein, uh, professional development is one that I, that I wrote down here where professional development kind of writ large is uh, like the professional development plan. We kind of talked about that earlier where, okay, we want this tech to progress from level one to level two, to level three, whatever. We want this dead-end job to have some kind of opportunity afterwards if the person demonstrates competency and growth. But professional development um, more as a conceptual piece of how do people learn in your organization like and I I think that a lot of your line managers uh, are experts at this where you say well um, my field guys like one of our companies uh, has really taken it upon themselves to take the physical safety aspect to heart they really want to they don't want guys getting hurt and one of the things that they told us was it's very common for these guys to, you know, they, they show up at work at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, they get their trucks ready to go, and, you know, by 8.15 in the morning, you know, the only thing they've done is chug a cup of coffee, and they jump out of the truck and, you know, either climb a ladder or jump in the bottom of a ditch and start swinging something. And, you know, that's when the, these guys my age, you know, like you're 46 years old, and you do that at 8.30 in the morning with no stretching, it's a recipe for bad things, you know, and you get... You tear your ACL and people are like, how'd you do that? I'm like, well, you know, I got out of my truck a little too fast in the morning. <laughs> so one of the things that they did is they brought in somebody to run the guys through what are some like job specific stretching routines you can do. Like we're not asking you to roll out a mat next to your work truck and start doing yoga by the side of the road, <laughs> but there's some things you can do as you get out of the truck, you know, as you walk around the back of the truck, as you pull a ladder off the truck, stop for a second and do these three things, you know, to stretch. And the reason that they do that, so I should say, how did they roll that out? Well, they had this expert, this safety expert show up in the morning and they get all the people outside and it looks like a you know, giant calisthenics class, and they're actually walking these guys through how to do this in real time. And why do they do that? Because the manager of that group said, put these guys in a room and show them a video on stretching. Are you kidding me? Like they're going to laugh their butts off. Like much better that they laugh their butts off while they're actually doing it. They might remember it. And so that's that might be a silly example. But the HR professional should be each individual is going to learn differently, but in broad strokes, different groups are going to, different venues for this kind of professional development are going to take place. So for instance, if you're wanting to develop young managers, well, doing that in a classroom may be effective. Um, Doing it in role-playing may be a little bit more effective. Taking these managers out for an afternoon where they can go to another company 
and talk to their managers, maybe in an unrelated industry, and maybe benchmark some of their practices against theirs and how they handle situations or how they set up teams. Or That's where you go, well, that's what this very dynamic young group of managers wants. They want to be exposed to more ideas. They want to talk to colleagues. They want to have a chance to see how it's done in other places because this is the only place they've ever worked. And if the HR manager is standing back going, well, what are we... Are the venues where we're trying to teach these people what we think they want to learn, is that the best place for them to do it? Uh, We see it all the time where uh, almost every one of our customer service, uh, every client we have that has a customer service role has the ability, has had for years, to record every phone call. And in fact, they do record every phone call coming through the system. But what we find, like every once in a while, we'll be like, has anybody ever gone back and listened to those? Well, we did that a while ago, right? And they can't remember the last time they did it, which usually means it was like four or five years ago. And so as part of our you know, routine, we're like, okay, well, somebody needs to go listen to some phone calls with this person that we're, you know, usually with, like, oh, so-and-so really needs help. Well, have you listened to our phone calls? No, nobody's listened to phone calls forever. Can we do that? Yes, I'll do that next week. So they come back the next week, and what do we hear? Oh my gosh, that was so helpful. Like they heard their voice, they heard they they had a totally different perspective on the call and how it went and before they didn't see the issue and then all it took was listen to it one time like, "Oh my gosh, I've got to stop doing that." Or I totally see where this went off the rails and why the customer got upset. And that's just another example of for a customer service rep to be able to uh, have a learning environment that is about their specific their specific case study, or to be able to uh, to have a self secure customer service rep stand up in the room as this thing is being played of theirs and have the the group discuss how this could have gone better or worse and build some transparency and relationship building into the learning venue. I don't know that that happens very often. It I think it happens in cases where that manager says, I think this is the best way to learn. But you and I talk all the time about managers who they were usually like the best tech, and so they got made the manager, and they're not thinking about the best way for people to learn. And that's why I'm saying like that's why the the buck kind of passes to the HR professional. One of the best ways you can be strategic is to be cognizant of the ways that the different – people and different functions in your organization are most apt to pick up new skills. And for a sales guy, that probably means role play in the sales field. I think a lot of your sales managers know that, but we can't just take it for granted because again, a lot of your sales managers are former salespeople and maybe nobody ever role played with them. So they don't know how effective it is to be able to do that. But that idea of uh, professional development in terms of learning theory and how people in your organization learn is a great way for an HR pro to be strategic. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I was thinking back to what you said there is, you know, there's a different level of responsibility and and need, a recognition of a need to grow when it's our own voice. You know, back to the CSR professional who's listening on the phone to their own conversation. They can't pass the buck. You know, who knows what was going on that day when that that call got answered? Maybe their kid was sick at school and they were stressed, and and it was very easy for them. It was instinctual for them to respond the way they did, or 
it was a, maybe it was a particularly bad phone call and it was just, it didn't happen. That's not their norm, but it's really helpful to go back to that and go, see, this is, this is what you had here. And, and, Oh, you, you see how the customer responded and then you responded this way. And here's how it could have gone get differently. When we're hearing that stuff in a conference center about communication and how we should respond to people and, you know, etiquette on the phone, it's a whole lot different when you're hearing yourself respond in the way that you are. And, and we have to take a whole lot more responsibility when training is using our own examples and from our own workflow than it is going to a conference center right. and hearing somebody talk to you about the theoretical etiquette that is required in a phone conversation. Right. Uh, when we talk about uh, culture, so shift gears for a second, what's the the HR, the strategic HR's pros responsibility with regard to culture. Yeah, I would say in this regard, this we're going to get into that recruiting piece a little bit, but it, not yet because if you talk about the HR's HR professionals responsibility in being strategic as it relates to culture, what you're really starting to get is their ability to the orientation process. So after recruiting, when they're getting into the organization, how are they? I love this 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 idea of assimilating the recruit into the culture, and that is mission, vision, values, and how those things are communicated as fundamental to everything that they're going to do in the organization, um, or as it relates to training. It's not just looking at that you are great. Yeah, your numbers were awesome, and you're performing above all your peers but there's a it's not your performance it's it's how you're doing it it's that's the issue and and using having those conversations and training so there's there's lots of ways that the HR professional can address culture and be strategic in that aspect Uh, but it all relates back to those mission vision values that we talk so much about and how how much how are those forefront of every conversation yeah that's so that it made me think of what's the normal trajectory or the normal workflow, uh, switch over to like the admin HR side, when we need to hire somebody new. And so we, the first thing we do is we post an ad, you know, maybe on Indeed or, or, or maybe use a recruiting service or something. And what do we put in the ad? <laughs> that here's the description of the job. Here's the skills that you need. And here's the minimum education requirements. Right. Call us. Submit your resume and cover letter. So when we talk about culture and we talk about safeguarding culture, we've done, you know, we've worked really hard to instill these values in the people that are here. And we've got this great team and we can talk about values in the context of getting work done and how it gets done. And we're holding people accountable to living out the values. And we're talking about the values in meetings. And we're like, we're values, values, values. And that's resulted in a great culture. And, okay, we need to add somebody to this team. And the first thing we lead with is not values. The first thing we lead with is skill set. Do you have the skills to get the job done? And so we bring the person in. I've seen situations where, like, they go through an entire battery of tests. Like, the first interview is skills assessment. And it could be welding. It could be putting together uh, an air conditioner. It could be a field test on a roof. Um, And then the, the second is you know like the value do you know is your driving record current you know can can you drive a truck can we be able to get you insured 
um, drug tests, all that stuff. And so we're kind of going through, and the whole time we're focused on can the person do the job. Right. And then they get to the final interview, which is like maybe with the business owner because the business owner has said, you know, it takes a lot of pride in the fact that I, you know, n- nobody joins the company without me getting to look them in the eye and determine if this is the person. And that's the point where maybe the business owner, if this is a company that's kind of got this rich, uh, intentional culture around a set of, of core values, starts to talk about the values. But the sentiment is, like, especially in this work environment, right before the person walks into the room, the HR professional says, man, I'm really glad we're getting to interview this person because I had to go through 50 resumes to get the one that you know w- would potentially fit that has the skill sets we look for. Mm-hmm. So right out of the gate, before the interview ever starts, the stakes are really high for not hiring this person. We've kind of led them down this path, and they've passed, 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 passed. And now we get to the critical question of, should this person even be on the team, not from a skill set standpoint, but from a core value standpoint? Do they resonate with our core values? Are these values that uh, we can talk about their prior work history and they can give us examples of where some of these values were lived out? Are these values that they can point to in their own family or their own you know, personal relationships? Are these values that they get excited about or are they just kind of like ho-hum? Um, mm. Do they see these as setting you apart from your competitors or do they look at them as, wow, this is kind of like an extra burden I have to carry if I come to work here? And those are all questions that if, if, if they fail on any of those fronts, what they're failing on is they're saying, this is not a person who's going to fit into your culture. And if, if in a moment of weakness, you're like, well, I didn't get a super enthusiastic response. <laughs> but HR just told me if we if we have to go back to the drawing board, it's another fifty resumes before we might get to another, you know another interviewee. So let's give them a shot, and we're going to put up. There's a really good team over here. I'm sure they'll be able to bring them around, or you know, I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And but, well, and and that's if the business owner is lucky enough to get a candid response and an honest response out of that right. potential recruit. Because they're thinking the same thing. Well, they had resumes. You're probably not the only company they submitted a resume to who asked for those particular skills. And so because, I'm going to spin it and say, because we didn't do a good job stewarding our culture, we didn't do a good job stewarding this individual's time in the hiring process, they're going to get to this last step and go, well, all the other companies that I had resumes to, I... I told them that I had accepted this position and now I'm getting ready to take the job from the business owner. Oh, now he's having this values conversation with me? Right. I can fake it. Right. I mean, I don't know where the statistic the came from. are equally high for the business owner. I mean, equally high for the prospective employee to fake it so that they don't have to start back at square one. Exactly. And, you know, I, I said this in a previous podcast, but the statistic is people can fake it for 16 hours. You know, and if they've invested all this time and they really want the position because they do have the technical skill set and they do like the idea of working at your organization, even if they're not 100% on board with your values, then they're going to, they're going to give you the answers that they, you want to hear. Right. So the flip side of that, the remedy to that is you got to lead with the values. Absolutely. You got to be leading with the values. You got to be putting those out there in your ads in a way that 
maybe you attract people who don't have the exact skill set you need but are attracted to your values because we can train people into a lot of different skill sets. Now, there's some exceptions if we have to have licensed electricians or we have to have you know nurse practitioners you can resonate for our values all day long but if you're not a nurse practitioner we can't hire you mm-hmm. uh, but i think for the for most of the complaints we hear about i can't find good people or we're struggling to keep up with the workload in this kind of market um, we're not talking about positions that can't be people can't be trained into their customer service positions, their sales positions, their uh, field work positions, their warehouse positions, their drivers. Their... So these are all things where you're like, oh, there's lots of different people who could potentially do the job. Um, let's make sure we get people who resonate with our values first. And that's where your strategic HR person, their role as the gatekeeper is less about, initially at least, about skills and more about making sure that our company is well-known and perceived to have culture and, and values first and foremost. And nowadays, like that external branding, uh, whether it's your social media feeds or your website or your profile as an employer on a, an employment site like a, a LinkedIn or a Indeed, like I don't see, uh, you see some of the pat and uh, the pat positioning about, you know, best place to work and care of family first and all that stuff. But I don't see a lot of companies going right out there with their values and the definitions of their values in an open and transparent way, the way that we would, you know, like when they finish with us and we go, that's a good set of values. And we go, that should be on your Indeed profile. And they're like, really? Absolutely. It's got to be there because that's what you want people to see so that they're attracted to you. And they're attracting the right people and you can take your pick of those and train the ones that are most apt to be able to pick up the skills. But that's an HR function because those are the people who are controlling those tentacles, you know, out into the world of, of potential recruiting. Um, so we just, you know, to recap, we just want people to focus as much on the cultural side, maybe even lead with the cultural side and put skills second instead of vice versa. Yeah. So let's talk about recruiting. Um, just as a, a process, because uh, this is something that we see all the time. Uh, I need somebody. Can you get me somebody? <laughs> You're like, at that point, it's too late. Yeah, it's very, very reactive. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, unfortunately, it's kind of the norm in a lot of organizations when it comes to finding personnel. And one of the things we advocate for in response to that is we're always hiring. You know, we are always looking for people or, or even beyond that, our HR professional is required to spend time with the tech, local technical college or go and make sure that they're at the three or four career fairs at each individual local college. You know, these are things that your HR professional should be doing as it, as it pertains to recruiting as a process. Because if you just post it on Indeed or God forbid Craigslist. We've heard lots of bad things about Craigslist. I suppose it depends <laughs> I on you. Somebody's going to slap me the other day when I said something about Craigslist. I can't remember who that was, but I got a really dirty look about putting an ad on Craigslist. It depends on the industry, I'm sure. But you know, they they should have this beyond the let me let me you know, kind of like a sales function, you know. They're they're fielding leads. They're just Whatever comes in, they're going to respond to. And I, that's 
there's just something so reactive about that that screams non-strategic mm-hmm. in terms of the recruiting process. Well, we we have um, between the two of us very frank conversations about on any team you're going to have a range of A players, B players, C players, D players, right? And I was talking about on our, our on a trip we had this morning, I was talking about this warm body syndrome, which is, <laughs> you know, you know you have a C or a D player in a certain position, um, and the the thinking goes something along the lines, well, yeah, but if I get rid of that person, who's going to take their place? So anybody is better than nobody you know Mm -hmm. it's just a warm body is better than nobody and one surefire way to to escape that and not become a victim of it is to do what you said which is we are constantly and like one of my uh, hr strategy pros kpis is how many interviews they did this week are you hiring no we're not hiring but they're still having they still have to do interviews every week i mean like that's an extraordinary waste of time I beg to differ because one, your strategy pro is going to, your HR strategy pro is going to get much better at the interviewing process the more they do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, you're going to build a perception in the industry that you are a place to come when people are looking for work because you're always taking those appointments. They don't just have to time it right to have an opportunity to join your company. And number three, when you have that D player and you're communicating, the people who you've interviewed in the last week, the perception changes and you start to understand that you don't have to put up with the warm body. You know, maybe you have to put up with the warm body for, if you're interviewing folks, you know, every week, let's say you're doing two interviews a week and you're, and, and this sounds extraordinary, but let's say you're a two person or a 50 person company and you're doing two interviews a week. You're interviewing 100 people a year. Well, you'd have to have you know 200% turnover to be able to hire all those people. Nobody's going to have that. Right. But the point isn't that you're, you're planning on 200% turnover. The fact is if you're interviewing two people a week, or let's just even say one person a week, well, if you've got a mix of, of 30 field workers and 15 office workers and five managers, during the course of interviewing those 50 people, there's going to be some managers in that group. There's going to be some office administrators. There's going to be some field people in that group. And so as, as you're interviewing these people and you're like, man, you're leading with the values. You're like, man, this person's like all over our values. Really wish we had a position for them right now. But we don't. You know, great skill set or maybe great on our values, but they just don't have a skill set that we, we need right now. And that keeps happening week after week. And you go, well, this person. And the other thing is the more, the more often you do this, the more opportunities you have to make sure that the people who are coming in and taking up your time, they're actually resonating with your values because you've done those things we've talked about earlier, making sure the tentacles of your outreach kind of put your values first. So the people that respond are people that resonate with those. And now you're just trying to do, the only question is, if you're doing this well, do they have a skill set that we need right now? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going through and doing one of these other things that HR pros should do, which is evaluate, kind of work with the other managers to make sure you know who are the A players, C players, D players on different teams, right? And what are the skill sets required on those teams? Somebody walks in your door, they resonate with your values, they've got a skill set that would work on that team, and you go, I got two D players over there. I know we're not hiring, you know, we don't have a 
now hiring desperation ad out there. We've just kind of got our regular ad going. But I'm going to go talk to this man and be like, hey, I, just, I met this person today, resonate with our values, skill set that works really well in your department. You've been kind of bitching and moaning and complaining about some of these D players. You want to rotate one out. And that you only have that option if you're not in the crosshairs of a crisis, right. which is usually when you find out who your D players are. Right? right, Your D players are only killing you when you're in a crisis, and you can't afford to—they suck, and you're really upset about it, but you can't afford for them to be gone because it's all hands on deck, even the D player hands. Right. So that, that um, advocation for a constant hiring process— is one of the best things you can do because it's a numbers game. The, making sure you have A players is a numbers game. Um, if if 20% of the population are A players, you just got to interview five before you find one. Right. And there's no excuse for it, you know, other than, well, you know, I'm just, I'm in the weeds and I don't have time for that stuff. And that's where you go back to the beginning and go, well, you're an admin HR player. You're not a strategic HR player. Uh, let's talk about one last thing. And this is the... Um, the destination, right? So we heard this this week too. Uh, you know, we're not a destination for people who are looking to work in our particular industry. And what they meant by that is like the word on the street isn't that we are the place to go. We haven't built the reputation. So what is a strategic HR pro's responsibility or role in trying to make sure that we do have, you know, how do you, how do you develop that reputation and what do you do to foster it and how do you leverage it so that so that people are knocking on your door, whether there's an ad out there or not. So one of the ways that the HR professional can do this is, you know, t- kind of dr- brings in everything that we're talking about together, is when you think about the CEO of an organization or the president or the owner, their key role is kind of working with really key vendors, key supplier, you know, other suppliers, and uh, key customer relationships, and making sure that those are developed and, and maintained the HR professional is really no different. You know, they know the the key partners in the industry and their responsibility, part of their responsibility in being proactive should be making sure that the resources that that organization is going to offer to prospective team members is top of mind. So that when, you know, John is looking for a job and he goes to a particular supplier, he is getting the the nugget dropped that, well, you should go work for, for such and such organization. And so it's, it's really the HR department professional's responsibility, not to just go out and be face-to-face with the prospective employee, but also the other, I guess, arms that make up the community for that particular business. So if we're saying like a, a sales and marketing professional, like if you're, so you're the sales manager, it's kind of part of your responsibility to know where all of your competitors are priced and what kind of features and options they're offering, what kind of promotions they're running, what kind of warranties they have attached to their products, uh, what the general uh, experiences of their salespeople, maybe how they're dressed or how they present or what tools they're using in the field. And that we would say, well, for a salesperson, obviously, like you got to know what you're up against. You got to know what your salespeople are up against. And from an HR perspective, it's like, you got to know what you're up against. And what are you up against in in the market out there? Well, there's the benefits. You know, mm-hmm. like we could come up with, you know, our list of benefits is longer than your list of benefits. But at some point, you know, 
do I really care whether it's a cafeteria plan or a 401k plan or, I mean, you know, benefits or benefits. You offer health benefits, I offer health benefits. You know, well, my 401k is a 3% match and yours is only a 2% match. Not super compelling, right? But we see, uh, you know, the, the administrative HR function, that's what they do. They hang their hat on, well, our list is longer than your list. I think it's more compelling to say, what's our reputation in the market among the people who are our potential new employees? Mm-hmm. And so what are we doing to build that reputation? Well, the, the only way that you get a really good reputation is if the people who already have those jobs are talking good about you. So if an HR, if a strategic HR manager doesn't understand what the scuttlebutt on the street is regarding our company, and I'm not just talking about, you know, like Glassdoor and the websites where people can leave anonymous comments, but like you said, how, what are the what are the guys at the supply houses talking about? What are the managers of the supply houses talking about? Like, here's an issue: uh, we never pay on time, and mm-hmm. so the supply house hates us. They're never going to send anybody to us because they never get paid on time. They're not going to send a potential employee because they're going well. Maybe they're not going to get paid. Yeah. So then you go, hey, uh, accounting. I know you're trying to squeeze every nickel out of these vendors and, and finance payables, but this is not a good idea. This is hurting our ability. Uh, to have good street cred, and when when a, a new person to the area walks into a su- supply house and they go, hey, do you know any companies that are looking for electricians or do you know any companies that are looking for mechanics? Uh, you want the guy from the supply house to think well of you, so they go, yeah, call Joey's company over here. They're great. The guys are always talking good things. They had a great Christmas party last week. The guys loved it. And you know, make sure that um, the vendors know it, but you also have to be, you can't manufacture something that's not there. So if your reputation stinks among your field employees and the HR person is oblivious to it, that's a big, big, big problem. <laughs> like the HR person has to kind of, if you want to get into the strategic game, you kind of have to take it on yourself to know what is the pulse of our of the morale and of our reputation with our own workforce. Because if they're not talking good about us, it's very unlikely we're going to become a destination for you know, other people in our industry that, who want to come work for us. And we're going to be able to track that talent without having to pay a lot for it. Yeah, and this really goes back to that piece again that you were talking about, which is we'd like to see the HR manager in the leadership team meeting, you know, having the conversations, keying in on some of the, the morale issues or the employee engagement issues that are popping up in the field from the field manager or the sales manager um, and identifying those, but also I think another piece that you could have as an HR manager is we're talking about constant review tools, but there's something too that I think is really beneficial to organizations, and that's an exit interview. Hmm. You know, maybe you have a technician who's leaving, and you're not quite sure why. They seemed happy, and they, but for whatever reason, they found better opportunities, or they're going to move, or whatever reason they give. There's so much valuable data in saying. Really, what are the things, you, you were here for 10 years, what are the things that you love about the place? What are the things that you didn't like? We really want to get better. And we, you know, and you might find this guy go, you know, I, was, I just kind of got tired of, I wanted to come in every day and I wanted to do my job. And what I found oftentimes was I was had to wade through all of the administrative baggage because my manager, you know, he was great and he loved me, but he really didn't do a good job at helping me just come in and do my job well. I had to ha- you know, carry some of his baggage with me and and overcompensate in other areas. And, and those are the kinds of other things that an HR manager could do to be strategic and making sure 
that the organization's reputation among the community is positive. Yeah. And when you talk about those kinds of conversations, like we are so far removed now from the record keeper kind of role where you've just had a very, um, it could be sensitive conversation, could be, um, could be a passionate conversation if they yeah. really want to let you have it right before they walk out the door. But regardless, you've just learned something that if it's going to do any good, knowing the information is going to do any good, now you have to go do something with it. Right. And you may have to go to, uh, so you know, the, the exit interview might have been like, man, I kind of liked working here, but I got to the point where I was babysitting my own supervisor. You know, like they didn't know, I just got the feeling they didn't know how to do their job. Mm. Or I got the feeling that they didn't want to do their job. Or I got the feeling that they weren't interested in going out and finding more people and helping us out. And I've been working 100 hours of overtime, you know, every two weeks for the last six months. And my wife has had enough. And I, I'm going to work over here because they've, they've got plenty of people. And so now the HR manager, having had this exit, it was a fantastic idea, has have had an exit interview. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to revert to record keeping and like put it into a confidential employee file and file it away? And then when that manager comes up for review, you like whip it out. And you're like, <laughs> how do you explain this? You know, this is why you're not getting a raise. Right. And that's all that record keeping baloney that, yeah, I mean, I don't want to say baloney. It's important. The compliance is important because it keeps us, it's a risk management, but it's not related to the growth of the business like uh, a conversation where you go to the manager and say, hey, can we talk? Uh, I just had an exit interview with the guy who, who was leaving, and uh, he shared some things with me that have a bearing on your professional development. And, you know, we talk about an abil- and a business's ability to grow. Like some of it comes down to process, and some of it is are they in the right product at the right time. But a huge chunk of a business's ability to grow comes down to its ability to implement behavior change. And so as a strategic HR professional, you're going to be privy to so much information that nobody, I mean, one of the biggest requirements, kind of um, skill sets, I guess you will, non-negotiables of a good HR manager is discretion. Because mm-hmm. you're going to have access to all this information. And, and information can be perceived as power, but only when you use it as a weapon. Okay. It's much more uh, useful in its ability to affect change when you can use it to come alongside other people and share things with them in a caring and beneficial way to exhort and encourage them and maybe make them aware of some blind spots or hold them accountable to some things that they've, you know, they've just been kind of fighting and they don't want to do it because it's more work. And like your ability to implement change goes a long way toward not just the company, you know, achieving its strategic goals, but you being perceived as somebody who's more than a record keeper. So I guess our exhortation to the HR pros out there who have a very difficult job to do, a lot of people don't understand it. Mm -hmm. They don't don't have the remotest clue how they're able to process payroll and handle benefits and deal with workforce compliance and OSHA regulations and all the other stuff, much less the strategic things going forward. you have a huge role in the organization if you'll pick up the mantle to be strategic. And if that means that you've got to get bandwidth because you're just ticking and tying too many boxes and pushing too many pieces of paper around your desk, then 
you owe it to yourself to go have a really honest conversation with your boss to say, this is the role that I always envisioned, or this is the role that I'm being called into. And I just don't see a way to get there with the stuff that we're doing now. I've done some homework, and if I can offload these tasks to a clerical person or a part-time person, I think it's a good start in getting me some bandwidth to get there. Or one other thing we talked about in relation to that is maybe it's not, I've done some research and I think these are the clerical tasks I can get off my plate. Maybe you even find, I've done my research and you bring to your boss, these are some of the things that I'm like issues that I can diagnose with people double, triple checking, you know, a given process so as to not make, make sure it's that, that it's accurate. Mm -hmm. And I think we should, we could save a lot of time there. Um, developing those systems and processes so that at the end of the day, the HR professional is not overloaded with all this work is another way mm -hmm. to, to what you're saying. Awesome. Yeah. Be more, it's work smart. It's not just about throwing more hands or more labor dollars at it. That's what I hear you saying. Right. Exactly. All right. Have we exhausted? Uh, we have not exhausted. We're not, we're not that, we don't have that much hubris to think we've said all there is to say about HR, but. I hope we, yeah, no. And I think what we, really hopefully we've accomplished is giving the HR professional uh, encouragement and letting them know, hey, you're not alone. We know that HR is a much better animal than the world gives it credit for. It's not it's not everybody's favorite cost center in a sarcastic sense. It is a very important strategic cost center that, but it only serves that purpose if we start looking through the forward window or the windshield uh, of our organization and then doing some of the hard things uh, like going and having conversations to implement some of those forward thinking ideas that we we've shared and hopefully we've, we've given the HR personnel or manager some encouragement to do that and be, be confident. Well said. <laughs> All right. We'll see you back next week on the Axiom podcast. Thanks for listening.